This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. One of North America's legendary fly fishers almost became a Major League Baseball player. His name was Whalen, and he grew up in Manhattan, Montana, a little community west of Bozeman. In fact, that's where uh, my kids, the three older kids, graduated from high school. Well, when Whalen was 15, he got to hit against Satchel Paige. I mean, that would be today like hitting against Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw or... Dave, you're a big Twins fan. Who would that be like hitting against on the Twins? Well, we don't have any great uh, <laughs> throwers right now. It'd probably be Santana. I yeah, guess. yeah, that's right. Francisco Liriano didn't he? Pitch well, that, for the was, twins? Old school, that yeah. was old school. Or, yeah, or uh, yeah, Liriano, and then who was this? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another lefty in there too. Yeah, it was wasn't San- there? that was another with Santana. Yeah, was Santana. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Great pitchers. Well, Whalen got to bat against this guy. Whalen was a second baseman for a team of Montana farmers. And in the 1930s and 40s, many of the Negro League teams did a lot of barnstorming. Uh, that is, they traveled through small towns all over the country and tried to schedule as many games as they could. It was a way to pick up a little money. That's kind of funny. Yeah. You know, beat up on the local team and <laughs> earn some money. Uh, so that's how Whalen ended up in a batter's box facing Satchel Page, the legendary pitcher in the Negro Leagues. Uh, after whiffing on a big roundhouse curve, Whalen got a pitch to hit. And he got a single. And, and I think if I recall, there's a little bit of a question over whether or not Satchel <laughs> grooved one or whether this was legit. But uh, it was a moment he never forgot. But his reputation, this is Whalen's, uh, continued to rise. His team kept winning against other teams in Montana and even against the barnstorming teams. And one Sunday, two men showed up to see the team. Now, Whalen didn't know it, but they were scouts from the Cincinnati Reds. Whalen's dad asked him to take them fishing the next day. And the funny thing is that by this time, Whalen was as much a prodigy with a fly rod as he was with a baseball mitt. Uh, These scouts were also fly fishermen, and they were more impressed with his fly fishing skills than his baseball playing. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's why two years later, just as World War II was starting, they came back and they signed Whalen to a contract with the Cincinnati Reds. Wow, that's amazing. I know it. But it wasn't meant to be. After he returned from military service, he lost interest in baseball. But that turned out to be a gift to the fly fishing world. You see, Whalen opened a fly shop and became a pioneer for catch and release fishing. By the way, nobody called him Whalen. You see, Whalen Lilly Jr. was affectionately known as Bud. Bud Lilly, one of the legends of fly fishing, And today we're going to talk about his wit and his wisdom because there's a lot he can still teach us even though we lost him in January of 2017 when he passed away at 91. Dave, the first time I ever heard of Bud Lilly was when uh, you and I, and I think my brother, visited his fly shop in the fall of 1982. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. In fact, he was he was there that day. Really? Was yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I remember him being behind the counter. Man, that is cool. I, I didn't know that because I know he sold that fly shop. In '82, I didn't know if it was the end or or when it was. Yeah, and I do. I still remember. He had a like a light blue 
almost like a jean shirt on. Wow. And I remember his gray hair even then. Man, yeah, that's I, a, I do remember That's a him. great memory. I usually remember things like that. What was I thinking that day? I, I don't know. I totally spaced out. I don't remember. <laughs> Man. Well, yeah, I remember you and I and my brother, or you and me where and my did we brother. Fish? I don't well, remember where we fished. They ended up sending us over to Slough Creek. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And, man, unfortunately, though, that wasn't we, great. we just we weren't great. I well, think might have been the yeah. problem. <laughs> we but, only went up to the first meadow. Yeah, we right? went to the first meadow. We really should have gone to the second or third meadow. And that was back in the day where my repertoire, probably yours too, was about three or four dry flies. And exactly. I'm going to fish those religiously and stubbornly. But uh, yeah, I remember it was only yeah, it was just it was just parachute atoms for me. I yeah. Think. Oh man. Well, anyway, that that was our first introduction to Bud Lilly. Uh, he kind of stumbled into being a fly shop owner, though. You see, after World War II, he graduated from Montana State University taught high school science and Roundup and Deer Lodge. Isn't that hilarious? Wow. That's where the prison is, state prison yeah, is in Deer, Deer Lodge. Lodge Montana, yep. Yeah, Deer Lodge, yep. We've been to Roundup, too, not too far north of Billings. Well, one summer, a teacher friend suggested that they supplement their teacher salaries by putting up a little car wash in West Yellowstone, Montana. It's just hilarious, isn't it? You know, Bud Lilly's car wash. <laughs> Think of Bud Lilly, the car wash guy. Well, they worked from dawn to dark and made good money, but then another opportunity presented itself. A local fly shop was on the market, and Bud scraped together the money to buy it. And I think, first of all, the fly shop was more of a hobby. Yeah, I think and, you're right. Uh, you're right. But when Bud retired from teaching uh, at Bozeman Junior High School in 1970, the fly shop really was primed to develop into a year-round business. That was actually the perfect Man. time to get into the no, fly fishing it business. it really was. It really was. Man, it was just at the infancy. Not, it wasn't the infancy in the United States, but it, it was at this vectoring point, this growth, yeah, court, yeah, growth curve. Exactly. So, uh, and sure enough, the fly, the fly shop thrived, and, and so did Whalen. And I guess he eventually, did you say 1982? He yeah, sold he it? sold the shop in 82. So and, whether or not it was, you know, he probably even if he sold it before we showed up that day i imagine it was a transition time where he's in there helping him out yeah he probably saw us coming and said man i can't take any more newbie fly fishers i'm gonna go drink so yeah that's exactly right <laughs> i gotta so, sell this thing yeah, I, I gotta, gotta offload this i'm getting out now i just can't take these kind of customers oh my gosh oh, man i didn't know a thing oh, about fly fishing no at that i point. sure didn't Holy either cow. goodness well, my next encounter with him was his 1987 book, Bud Lilly's Guide to Western Fly Fishing, uh, co-authored with Paul Schullery. And that book was a gift from a friend of mine, Dwayne Dunham, and it really opened up my understanding of how to fly fish, you know, patterns, techniques, and, and that was a really helpful book. You actually met him, didn't you? Didn't you meet Bud Lilly? Yeah, you know, I did. A funny thing was it was at a book signing for... The second edition of his book, uh, it's called Bud Lilly's Guide to Fly Fishing the New West, and, and I highly recommend that. Anybody who's uh, heading to the, the West, uh, Intermountain West, to fly fish some of those big rivers, and that is a must read. And I, I think it's still in print. If not, I know you could get it on Amazon. But uh, anyway, he and Paul Schullery were in a bookstore in Three Forks, Montana. It was a bookstore. It was actually a... Uh, a mobile home, I think a double wide that had been converted into a bookstore. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. So 
I told him my story about accidentally catching a trout on the Yellowstone during uh, the Mother's Day caddis hatch. What was hatch. that story again? Yeah, well, I, uh, you know, so I was over there uh, kind of fishing where you and I have before, just south of, of Livingston in Paradise Valley, and there were some uh, kind of rock cliffs, not rock, it was just gravel cliffs, and I remember I was fishing that, and the wind came whipping up, you know, which is no surprise. So much wind over there, and and it was so bad. And I'm I'm standing right along this cliff, so I'm I'm you know I'm a foot away from the water, and I'm standing there, and it started whipping this up. And I think I was wearing contacts, and so the dust's getting under my contacts. So I I I can't take this. So I just stood there. There was nowhere to go, and I closed my eyes. And I put my, I hooked my fly to my, um, you know, the little eyelet, at the, eyelet bottom, the hook yeah. thing, yeah, the hook thing, the yeah, technical term, yeah. yeah. So I, I thought, I'm just going to wait this out. So my fly rod has kind of cradled my arms, and finally, uh, you know, I'm, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, I felt like, you know, my fly rod was, like somebody grabbed it and thought, wow, that's powerful wind. And so I opened my eyes to get a grip on it, and here... Here the, the wind had blown the fly loose, and the fly had obviously dangled over the water, and a trout took it. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is the catasatch they were feeding like crazy. One of those Yellowstone cuts? Uh, yeah, oh, I know. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so I told Bud Lilly and Paul Schollery this story because they were, somebody else right before me as I'm waiting in line, they were talking about the catasatch. So I, I, I told him the story, and so Bud Lilly, in his very wry, dry way, said, well, it sounds like it didn't take much skill. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it didn't, yeah. And then we talked about his ancestor, Granny Yates. As I'm, I'm standing there kind of thumbing through the book, waiting to get my turn to get it autographed. I, I see this photo of Granny Yates, his ancestor, and uh, she was the kind of a matriarch of the church where I was pastor, so we had a a nice conversation about huh. her. And then on the way out, uh, you know, before we're done, he and Paul signed my book. And I I think, let's see, did it say to Steve, one of the best fly fishers we've ever met? Or, <laughs> or, or may, maybe it said to Steve. Maybe not. Maybe it said to not. Steve with best wishes. I just remember the word best was in the uh, little note. Maybe so. not, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love his anecdote in that book about how fly fishers would come into a shop after a day of fly fishing and saying, the only thing they were hitting on was this little fly. And by the end of the day, Bud said there were about 20, quote, only things, <laughs> yeah. unquote, that yeah, the trout were feeding on. Oh, that's crazy, That's isn't classic it? fly oh. fisherman, always confident, sometimes right. Oh, man, Blah, blah, so blah, true. blah, blah, blah. I mean, so true. Instagram and Facebook is full of it, right? Oh, I, mean, I know. Everybody's I know an authority. It. It's... Yeah, that's right. So, and then there's us. And then there's us. Yeah, we're not an authority. We know that. No, no that's right. <laughs> so what oh. is it? Was it just timing in terms of when he ascended into fly fishing, or you know, what was it that really made Bud Lilly such a legend? You know, that's a great question. I, you, you would have to think that the time was right, I and mean, it was kind of that perfect storm where there there's more interest being generated and you've got some people that are you know starting to become fly fishers and really catch on to this you know joe brooks might have been a little bit before that but 
you know, fly fishing is kind of coming into its own, but I, I think with Bud Lilly, I mean, one thing is his wit, you know, yeah, he, for sure. Yeah. A lot of people had the insights, but he just had this wit. <laughs> I, I know that's why I like his book and uh, anybody if, who, who reads it, if you pick it up, you'll enjoy some of his wit, but he, he says, for example, there are lots of ways to catch a trout. Maybe that's why there are so many experts. <laughs> oh, that's and, why everybody's so confident. Oh, I know it. And then he says this, no hatch is good enough for you to risk waving a nine-foot graphite rod around during a lightning storm. So, oh, wow. So, I mean, he, That's just, great. he just had a way of turning a phrase. I would say his wisdom yeah, was yep. also huge. You know, he yeah. was a big fan of yep. streamers, large streamers, and he fishes them or fish them any time of the year and argued, and he's right, obviously, that they really give you the best chance to catch really large trout. He yep. wrote... Uh, was it in the new guide or the yeah, guide for the new yeah. west? Mm-hmm. He said a study a few years ago in Yellowstone Park showed that large cutthroat trout tended to prey most heavily on fish that were 25 to 30 percent of their size. Wow! Think of that. That's oh, amazing. Man. Yeah. 20 inch trout commonly ate chubs of five or six inches. Man. So that'd be like you and I eating a steak of what? Well, we better not put the weight. Yeah, there. that's right, man. <laughs> man. And also, according to Lily, rain can be your friend, and you and I have seen this through yeah. years, just many, many times. But the, when he said it, it was before all you know, before this huge ouvert and experience that fly fishers have today. But he talks about, he says, "quote Many times, a nice rain in the middle of the day has brought a stream to life for me or my clients. It can drop the water temperature just enough." to cool the water and trigger a hatch or get the fish into a more active mood. A hard enough cloudburst can loosen bank materials, including worms and insects, also getting fish out on the prowl. Wow. And, uh, I've, I've had that happen. Yeah, I, for I remember sure. one time, several summers ago, on the Boulder River in Montana, uh, it, I didn't even know it was supposed to rain, and all of a sudden this little rain shower came up, and I was thinking about... You know, ducking for cover somewhere, and all of a sudden, that little river just came to life. I couldn't believe it. There were, it, it was like the caddis hatch or something on the Yellowstone, and there were fish rolling over, and and I caught a couple. I mean, nice fish, sixteen-inch rainbows. They're wow. the biggest wow, fish wow, I've wow. ever caught out of that stretch of the boulder. And then, like that, it quit. As soon as it quit raining, it was like. You know, there, there must have been a notification. Time to stop feeding on the surface. I've never caught a 16-inch rainbow on the boulder. And I've been there several yeah. times with you. That's a big fish. Well, oh, it is. I, and that's the only time I've I've caught them that big. Yeah, the upper boulder. Down in the valley, yeah, you know, they're big, fish yeah. that big. But yeah, They come up, up from the Yellowstone, Up there in right? the mountains, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Another one he used to say, another piece of wisdom, and it makes complete sense, which is if your hopper sinks, don't immediately... Yank it out of the water. Hoppers drown, and oh, fish take them yeah. just as avidly then as they do when they're on top of the water. So, so you know, fish are often looking for that stuff right beneath the surface as well. Man, that's a great point because I I can tend to be too obsessive about oh no my fly's not floating I gotta pull it in and you know get rid of the water you know put it in some of those Orvis you know shake and bake crystals or whatever and then put fly dressing on it and get it out there so it's riding high. But th- yeah, that's a good reminder. It's... Well, several years ago, I remember we were fishing what we call hopper run. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was dropping an ant, like a flying ant, and that thing sat just beneath the film. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many 
fish I caught off of that. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, it's submerged. Yeah. And I probably could have fished a drowned hopper and caught the same mm-hmm. same amount of fish. But boy, fishing right beneath the film is really a great great yeah. opportunity when they're if you're fishing hoppers. Oh, it really is. So when you think about Bud Lilly, you think about his wit, you think about his just his vast wisdom. You also think about his conservation efforts. Uh, he started promoting catch-and-release fly fishing in the early 1960s. I mean, he began to realize the damage that was taking place with so many anglers uh, killing you know, everything that they caught. And so he, I think he even found, I've read he founded a, a you know, was a, it was a catch-and-release-only club, I, I think it was, and they would... You know, the anglers would wear pins, so they were catch-and-release fly fishers. And yeah, he said he grew up, you know, killing the fish he caught. I mean, he didn't waste them. They, they would eat them. But he he realized even, I think even as a, maybe as a teen in, in Manhattan, that, you know, he and his buddies were just taking so many fish out of the streams on a daily basis that even he realized, I don't know if the the streams can sustain this. And so, you think he picked up some of that from Lee Wolf, who is accredited with with talking about fish. I think Lee Wolf is the one who said something to the effect that, you know, a fish is too precious or too yeah. wonderful to be caught only once or something like that. Yeah, Somewhere yeah. around that time, yeah. they were probably each doing it in their right. own way. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, I'm not sure. I you know, He may have, but you're right. I think it was that... It was kind of that moment in time when there was more awareness of that. And, and I remember by the mid-1970s, you know, I'm still, you know, a young teen. And, and you go to Yellowstone and, I mean, we used to complain there were so many regulations. You need an attorney to figure them <laughs> out. And, and it was all fly fishing, which, you know, then, that was before I became a fly fisher, I was probably highly offended that I couldn't, uh, <laughs> you know, sling my MEP spinner down the Madison River. But, yeah, all, all of that was kind of coming together. And, you know, Bud Lilly was a part of that. Uh, he spent countless hours on conservation efforts. He testified and lobbied frequently before some of the state congressional committees in Helena at the state capitol. And he even helped establish a fly fishing museum in West Yellowstone. You know, I've never visited that. I think I'm always too busy fly fishing when I'm yeah, there. And yeah. I may, maybe sometime. It's really not the time to be looking at a museum. Yeah, exactly. You've got to be fishing. I not... would rather fly fishing yeah, go exactly. to the museum. If, if it's really bad someday, Dave, we can put that on our list. So where was that uh, fly fisher's retreat that we saw? Yeah, that, that's, that's in, a Bud Lilly thing, right, too, that's right? That's in Three Forks, in Three Forks, Montana, where uh, he had... You know, spent a lot of time, and that was a family property. So I, yeah, I remember last time we were there about a year ago. We drove through there and kind of looked at it. Now that he's passed away, I don't know if that's still uh, continuing or not. I don't know if his his son or daughter, um, especially his younger son Chris, who's in that area. I don't know if he's uh, just looks like a continuing that or now, not. Yeah, it? yeah, it does. But uh, yeah, he had. He had fly fishers in there. I, I've seen pictures. I know Tom Brokaw talked about, you know, Brokaw, who lived in the area and uh, used to go over there and, and hang out. So, yeah, Bud Lilly was quite the uh, the angler. By the way, if any of you ever visit West Yellowstone and you're looking for Bud Lilly's fly shop, you won't find it anymore, at least not by that name. 
Uh, it's become big sky anglers, and, and that's just fine. I, that, that may be just as well because he hasn't owned the shop since 82. Uh, what matters is that his legacy lives on, and if you have success in the big rivers in Montana and Wyoming, you have Bud Lilly to thank. Uh, he truly is one of the legends. I guess that wouldn't be us because we certainly haven't had that much success. That's no, that's true. right. Uh, that's, nobody, <laughs> that's not true. Nobody's yeah, going to mistake us for a legend. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I was speaking about success on the rivers. <laughs> oh, yes. But we've had so much success down there. And when you oh. think about how we think about hoppers and yeah. nymphs, and I mean, it, it is Bud Lilly that we oh, have I to know. thank for all that. We owe a lot to him. We yeah, really do. Sure. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a recent comment from our friend Glenn, a guide in the Adirondack Mountains of New York State. And this kind of relates to our topic today. Glenn says, As an up-and-coming guide in this sport, I wish I could have met the legends like Bud Lilly and Lefty Cray, Joe Brooks and the legendary Fran Betters of the East. I plan on attending the show so that I can start meeting these people. I would love to meet Joe Humphreys, Joan Wolfe, and April Vokey, George Daniels, Lance Egan, and I will be meeting with Richard Strollis this May. He's the guest speaker at this year's Osable Two Fly Tournament. Legends I have met are Rachel Finn, Bob Mead, a great fly tire, David Bryant, uh, Pete Kutzer. These folks are all down to earth and love passing on helpful tips and info. Just about everyone you meet in this little industry is gracious enough to spare some time to speak with you. I've been working on trying to meet the authors of the best-selling book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short, catch more fish. It would truly be an honor to fish with Steve and Dave. That's great, Glenn. We appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. You're, you're setting yourself for uh, you're setting yourself up for some disappointment. Huge there, disappointments, but, uh, my friend. Yeah, but uh, but hey, we're honored. Stick with April Volke and yes, Joan Wolf. That's right. See, Dave, we are legends. Actually, you didn't know it. <laughs> oh man, oh, that's great. Well, hey, that's going to do it for today. Have you read anything about or by Bud Lilly that you found helpful? Please share it with our community of fly fishers who listen to our podcast by commenting on this podcast link. Our site is twoguysinariver.com. Maybe you even met Bud Lilly and had a conversation with him. If so, we'd love to hear about it. You can find us on all the social platforms, and if you'd like to send us an idea for a podcast, please do so. You can do so through Facebook or just our email, Steve Dave, that's one word, at twoguysinariver.com. Be sure to sign up for our weekly email alerts on our website. We'll keep you updated on new episodes, new articles, and much, much more. We also want to thank all of you who have purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, speaking of which... This book is really a cliff notes of all the fly fishing hacks and tips we've accumulated through the years and stolen from everybody else. For those of you who haven't yet purchased it, you can find it on Amazon. One last thing, our podcast subscribers continues to grow, and the last year have Last year, in particular, has been amazing. So, yeah, it really has. And that comes simply by you telling somebody. And uh, it's all by word of mouth, and we'd love for you to refer the podcast to someone. So thank you very much. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson, and the legend sitting next to me is... <laughs> Dave Getz. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. <laughs> for the love of fly fishing. 